0: Only
1: redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value.
0: Beware attacking the self-soothing behavior. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. We look around and we compare
1: our kid with others and we want our kid to be in the in the fat part of the bell curve. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I struggle with transitions myself a podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I could read fluently, but still pooped in a diaper. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about helping kids through transitions. Through the years, through the years. (laughs) Yeah, you wanted to call it transitions through the years, and then we, we, we stuck kids in there, so...
0: Yeah, well, I always kids think transitions. Transitions. You think like big boy bed, like little kid stuff, is the only time it matters with transitions. And I remember my preschooler got something home that said, you know, his little evaluation was like struggles with transitions, and my sister in law said to me, "You'll be reading that on his high school." transcripts. You know, like kids who struggle with transitions tend to continue to struggle with transitions and transitions continue. I mean, my oldest is nine turning 10 at the end of the summer and we're still dealing with transitions.
1: Yeah. I mean, transitions, right. There's they're, they're big and small. I have a difficult with transitions or also, and and that means literally, at least in my child's case, it's when art is over, the child doesn't want to really finish art and line up for music, the, the child h- has a hard time leaving this one thing to behind and switch to something else. Is that the, is that the uh, context you're hearing? Yes.
0: And I will point something out, which was pointed out to me and has been very helpful for me as a marker. Elementary school is so fundamentally different from the way that we live our lives. So the right. ability to wake up in the morning, eat breakfast, go, be in a room full of people, do art for a little while, and then switch. Now it's time for gym, then switch. Now it's time for math, then switch. Now it's time for archery, and then switch. Now it's time for language arts, then switch. Now it's time for science. That is fundamentally different than the way that kids have lived historically and the way that adults basically live. And I've heard that. A, I struggle with transitions myself, you know? I mean, I would find that. I found school difficult, and I continue to not really enjoy transitions. I have read um, for kids with ADHD to keep in mind that sort of the
1: older you get, it gets better. That right, sort of the elementary school, change what you're doing every 40 minutes and, and move with the group at the same pace as the group and sit still and listen. That's a little bit less true in middle school, a little bit less true in high school. By college, you're picking your classes, you're choosing what you want to study and what you don't. You know, I took rocks for jocks to get out of science as soon as possible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I took astronomy. They call it a gut in college or they used to back in the day. And uh, I was told astronomy was, I thought like astronomy, like, oh, look at the stars. Where are they? Oh, Ryan's belt. I know some of that stuff already. Astronomy is like the hardest college class you could take. It's all share how binary stars share weight. It's so hard. Don't take it as (laughs) as a gut. But yeah, I mean... I think all the time I was reading something about, you know, sensory kids and the example of like, for them, the world just feels like you're reading a book in the park and someone comes and slaps the book out of your hand and is like, come on, we're going to do something fun. And your whole life feels kind of like, but wait, I was reading a book. I don't want the book slapped out of my hand and be dragged no matter how fun quote unquote, that other activity is. I think transitions feel like that for kids in general. And then for kids who struggle with transitions, they feel even more like that. Right, And that's a good perspective to bring to it because it's something that I had to kind of readjust to.
1: And of course, the more your kid is struggling with the transition, the more you, the parent, are going to struggle with the transition because you're the one ushering them through it sometimes with them kicking and screaming. And it right. feels and like the more they kick and scream, forever. the more you're
0: like, shut up. This is going to be fun. We're going to the zoo. It's going to be super fun. But if they're that, that line of, dealing with it is actually not that helpful.
1: But today we're going to talk about like the big transitions, right? That you kind of don't have a choice about for, for little kids and for big kids because yes, there's and, things and even the, the little same.
0: transitions, you don't have a choice about it. I mean, you don't, it's true. You can maybe send them to, you can maybe find some school where like, oh, it's self explore and self-directed maybe, but for the majority of schools, including all the ones that my kids go to this is life. It's art. And then it's language arts. And they're, they're ringing, that ringing that bell or they're moving from thing to thing. And so all kids have to deal with this.
1: So the first, the first, uh, transition that I really had a hard time with was the pacifier. Not yeah. for myself, obviously, but for my, <laughs> for, for yourself. my oldest child. That was child. the
0: first time you really struggled yeah. in life, Amy, when they I took did the pacifier away from you.
1: I, I should have asked Nancy Wilson about this. Um, but she, I, my oldest child Loved his pacifier. And it strikes me that this is kind of like the um, the princess thing that we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Like, first, we push the pacifier so hard on the kid, right? Like, take it, take it. So they'll lie down and go to sleep or, you know, I'll be without you for, for 10 minutes. And then just as suddenly, there's a sort of arbitrary line that society decides upon that it's you know the most appalling thing you could ever witness is a three year old with a pacifier cuz i
0: don't remember this my kids are too old now when do they say you have to get rid of it
1: well this is this is the thing i looked into this the the american academy of pediatrics says for thumb sucking which we're going to get to and for pacifiers like kind of like by 5 you want to give it up and then you, you, but you need wait, to pacifiers isn't by 5 it is, but society pushes it way, way sooner. So in my child's case, my child was very attached to his pacifier. And by the time he was turning three, his baby teeth were seriously wackadoo. Like they were, like you know, he at, still had a pacifier. Yeah, he was still using his pacifier, and they okay. and at, heading for his third birthday. Still using his pacifier, not all day long. Like he used it in the car, long car trips. He used it at bedtime, and his teeth were starting to go like a little horizontal.
0: And his <laughs> That's pediatrician not the look you were going for.
1: Yeah, but my his pediatrician was like, "There's baby teeth, and it's gonna and it's gonna um, rectify as soon as he stops using it." So you know, you'll get there. And that was thank goodness the um, the pediatrician gave me that advice because you get a lot of... There was a really good article. Susanna Kuhn, I think you pronounce her last name, wrote an article for Scary Mommy called Please Mind Your Own Business About My Child's Pacifier. And she talked about this moment that I can totally identify with when you're out and about, and maybe your kid's going to have his picture taken, or your kid is just like at the amusement park or whatever, and some family member or sometimes even stranger will say, "You don't need that thing in your mouth," and they just like pull it out of your kid's mouth, and her kid <laughs> is looking up at her like, like, well, like, oh my god, mom, I've help been me. assaulted
0: by yeah. a stranger.
1: It's like, what, 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 in what world is that okay? And and she points out that yeah, like yeah, my kid is maybe going to need a couple of extra dentist appointments, but if I have a child who needs the comfort of this pacifier for another year. Like I I get to make that decision for my kid.
0: Yeah. It kind of falls in the category of they're probably not going to go to college with it.
1: Exactly. They don't. So, so, all right. Can I give, can I, in case we have people listening like, no, but my kid actually is going to go to college with, with her pacifier (laughs) because I don't know what to do.
0: That'll be awkward.
1: I have, I have a tip. I believe with kids this age that firm deadlines and a little magical thinking are very useful. And you talk about the deadline way ahead of time. So I, for, for, for me, it was my kid's third birthday. I just, you know, I, and we started talking about it a couple months ahead of time, and I just fully made this up. I said, when you turn three, your big boy teeth are gonna mean you're not gonna be able to use a pacifier anymore. And we started talking about this like a month, two months before the third birthday, when you turn three, you're gonna have big boy teeth. And then the day he turned three, I snipped the tip off his pacifier before he went to bed and my husband and I had planned ahead of time like okay you're gonna do the first night like holding him while he sobs and then I'll do the second night you know (laughs) sleeping with him on the couch and we had our our 10-day nightmare planned out for how this transition was going to go it was bedtime on his third birthday give him the pacifier and he's and he's you know he starts to suck on and says there's something wrong with this one and I said oh my gosh like it's happened your big boy teeth just put a hole in that pacifier and you can't use it anymore and he just looked at me he's like I don't want it and he gave it to me
0: and, that was and he laid down story. and went to sleep.
1: The end. And I think a lot of that story is not that I'm a genius, but because he was three and he was ready. But you and are didn't a genius. Try to do Let's take a moment, moment
0: and celebrate, yeah? yeah? Yeah.
1: So the big boy teeth, putting holes in the pacifier, totally worked for us. And then we also did the take the pacifiers and put them in a bag and give them a Santa Claus. We did that as well. Same, I've same year. I've definitely
0: heard of the pacifier fairy.
1: Yeah. You bring them to the, to the dentist. There's definitely... Um, some white coat magic that can happen here too. Like the, um, yeah. the Mayo Clinic suggests this for thumb sucking, which we can talk about now that, that it get your, get your dentist involved. Have the dentist sit down with the kid and say, don't you think it's really time you're doing this? And, and, you know, let the, let the gentle, but firm stranger explain to your child why it's really time
0: <laughs> to move on. Oh, the gentle, but firm stranger. What a role you have in our lives. <laughs> My kids gave up the pacifier on their own. I just have no memory of it being a problem at all. They just got bored with it. And then the other thing is I had closely spaced kids. And so I would always have a new one with a pacifier. And my cousin has a funny story that they had a hard time getting their oldest off the pacifier. And then when they had their third baby, You know how sometimes, like, in the crib at night, you you have, like, six pacifiers lying around the crib so that whenever the kid wakes up, they could just grab the pacifier? At some point, they went in, and, like, he turned the lights on. He heard something in the baby's room. He turned the lights on, and, like, their 4-year-old was, like, in the crib, like, taking hits off of all the pacifiers, like an insane (laughs) person. Like, he'd had a relapse. I definitely think it's hard when you got little ones around, like, oh, no, that's not for you anymore, blah, blah. But my kids just got bored of the pacifier. Some kids do, and some
1: kids don't. I mean, it it it... Helps with anxiety. So, you know, mo- moving on to the the thumb sucking thing, the the Mayo Clinic sort of recommended that you you look at the triggers. Like, if you have a kid who is four or five and still sucking her thumb, it's probably not all day long because by the time they get that old, kids will tease them at school, so they're not going to do it at school. But they're home watching Frozen. And they might start sucking the thumb when they're tired, when they're stressed, when they need comfort. And you can sort of see when, when these things occur. And then you can create our favorite thing, incompatible behaviors. Amy loves an incompatible I behavior. I love guys. an incompatible behavior. You know what? I just had an incompatible behavior. Our dog keeps pooping in our house in the same Ugh. freaking spot. when Because so it gets in the rug. I don't, I don't want dog. to. Yeah. Don't get a dog, everybody. But oh, she never. she has her she has her spot. And, and when we leave her alone, she's sort of like, okay, yeah, you're going to do that? You're going to do it that way? And then she leaves us a present. So <laughs> oh. last night we had to leave her alone. And guess what I did? I took the laundry basket and I put it on top of the spot before we left the house. So she couldn't go Look to there. that spot. And she didn't. Poop next to the laundry basket. She just didn't poop at all. That's incompatible, incompatible behavior, guys. Behavior. It's what it's all about. So I, I, so I'm kind of making this up. But if you if you had a kid who sucked her thumb, maybe you could talk about stress and then give them a stress ball, like one of those squeezy things, and let them pick out one they like. And then when they when they're feeling worried, they can squeeze the stress ball and and they're thinking about that. And of course, they can't squeeze a stress ball and suck their thumb at the same time. Um, I had a
0: kid who started thumb sucking at five. Really. And I was really freaked out. I was like, what's going on? And then she stopped like three months later. And that was the end of the story. (laughs) Like that was all there was to it. She just did it for like, I don't know
1: four months. It, like It runs in families, right? Like my kids were pacifiers or nothing. And their first cousins were total thumb suckers. Thumb suckers. And definitely we spent the weekend with the cousins. And my my daughter was sort of like, I think I'll try that on emphasize. Yeah, she was three or four. Like that looks pretty cool when my cousin does it. And you know, you're, it's a, you're able to nip it in the bud if they start doing it for the weekend. before. Well,
0: and I think as I as I keep trying to look at the big picture of transitions. Cause there may be some of our listeners who are like, wait a minute, I've, I'm long done with thumb sucking. There is an overall picture that I'm still dealing with with my older kids, which is beware attacking the self-soothing behavior, right? Cause it is, my kids still have self-soothing behaviors. My kids, uh, all my kids still will occasionally, um, chew on the sleeves of their shirts or, you know, chew on their the front of their collar. And I have tried to train myself out of just having my reaction being like, stop, you're ruining your shirt. There is something that is generating that behavior. And I try to just take that extra moment to think, how problematic is this behavior if it is soothing my child about something that they're having anxiety about. As a lifelong nail-biter myself, I uh, am sympathetic to people who have self-soothing behaviors. You don't want a kid who's sucking their thumb at seven, probably. You don't want them damaging their, I don't know, macular or something. I don't know, whatever's, whatever structural problems happen from it. But it is a great idea through all these transitions to make sure the other side of the transition still has a s- soothing behavior on it.
1: That's a really good point. I was I was reading online researching for this about tensional outlets, which I never knew, I never heard that term before. But it's kids, you know how there's kids who like pull out their own eyebrows one hair at a time or whatever, like those are yes. tensional outlets. And so it's chewing on a sleeve and so is a pacifier or a thumb sucking. And beware forcing the removal of the soothing behavior when they really need it, because it will then quickly be replaced by a tensional outlet that might be less desirable than the pacifier, which you can just hide. Once yeah, and don't
0: want. panic. Like it's not like oh, I'm going to tell my kid to stop sucking their thumb, and they're going to start pulling out their eyebrows. But like, just be aware of what its role. <laughs> is, maybe, like, but it might happen. It, but <laughs> but I have a <laughs> I have a husband who like works at home and has a lot of uh, self soothing stuff he does while he works. You know, tapping pens or. Um, Chewing on stuff or whatever—all people have these kind of uh, self-soothing behaviors. And so, just remember that big lens, which is like, I don't walk up to my husband while he's trying to figure out a complicated engineering problem and slap the pen out of his hand and be like, "That's not good for you. You're too—you're too old to be doing that," you know? Exactly. See the big picture. Um, there is there is a
1: woman named Marilyn Hines who has a column called Parent Kids Right? And I really like what she said about this. She, I like that title. It's very like, it's very straight to the point. If you see her picture, she looks like the, oh gosh, the cartoon character that looks like Edith Head. Like she's really little with her hair pulled back in a bun and giant glasses. Like the lady from the old Navy commercials used to be. Yes. Is that an oldie locks alert? That was, those were a long time ago. (laughs) I'm going to give you an oldie locks
0: alert on that one.
1: Please You know, back in my day. And there we go. And like the the little tiny lady, like I think she's a villain in The Incredibles. I don't know. Anyway, she makes the costumes in The Incredibles. Okay, yeah, yeah. So so that so that lady. So basically, now she has a parenting column. That lady, and she calls she calls uh, this need in parents to fix this based on what other people are thinking our built-in comparison meter that we all have a built-in comparison meter and we look around and we compare our kid with others and we want our kid to be in the in the fat part of the bell curve and and so we're really upset with pacifier use and of course and 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 to be fair like I just said you get all this societal pressure and your poor kid in the supermarket the like lady behind the checkout counter is plucking the pacifier out of their mouth because They've decided it's okay, something they that don't want happens, your kid to be doing.
0: Stop shopping at it. Oh <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: But, any, but anyway, it's a built-in comparison meter, and, you, and that should not be a factor in your child's transitions because somebody's giving you grief or denial. Sure, for
0: sure, it's the walking, sitting up, hitting markers. If your kid is really hitting them very late, consult your pediatrician and make sure that everything's looking good. But don't worry about it. My my father, who's gone on to have a very successful career. I mean, again, this story may have become a bit apocryphal over the years. Always claims that his mom used to carry him around because he didn't walk until he was 18 months old. And she was so embarrassed that she had a kid who didn't walk. <laughs> so she like broke her back carrying him everywhere. Don't don't worry about these things in terms of how they relate to other people. But if your dentist is telling you or your pediatrician is telling you, like, it's time for it to stop, it might be time. Then let them, I, I actually have a story about this with myself. I
1: was an early reader. I was a precocious child, um, who that still is the least surprising thing. Right, the least surprising least part, thing I've guess. literally ever said. Um, but I was a. Uh, I loved to poop in a diaper till a, you know a pretty um, <laughs> ripe old age. So we're going I, deep, Amy, we're going way deep here. I didn't so, know we were going to be getting this information. This is all about, um, I'm on the couch right now. So anyway, my um, I could read fluently but still pooped in a diaper. And so my parents brought me to the pediatrician and the pediatrician sat me on his lap and he had me read aloud from a a child advice book about, um, you know, getting kids to poop, to (laughs) poop on the potty and why it's important. And he had me read it to him. And he said, you know, don't you think... If you can read that, that you're really old enough to be you know not doing this anymore. And I was like, Yeah, okay. It was a good run. And that was it. That was the end of
0: it for (laughs) me. It was a good run. I had a good run. That pooping in my pants thing, it was awesome. you're right. I get it. It's over now. You're right.
1: My mother's approach was always the lady said, and I'm not afraid to use that either like you know you go to the, let, the, let the dentist tell your kid it's time to stop using a pacifier let the pediatrician say don't you really think it's time to stop let, let the, you use that and then my mother would always lean into the lady said she she, went, she was taking my two sisters to disney world i have sisters who are very very close in age and i think they were almost 3 and almost 2 and we were going to Disney World as a family. And she just sort of sighed aloud in their presence repeatedly that she just didn't know if we were going to be able to go because she couldn't bring enough diapers for two kids. They wouldn't let her bring that many diapers on the airplane. And she we talk said about that this two all or three time.
0: times at the end. It's the timer says it's time to leave the park. Yeah. It's not me. Right. Yeah, but guys, listen, the duck just quacked and we can't argue with the duck. Let's go. <laughs> and like the kids somehow... Whatever their developmental brain is, they're like, oh, all right, well, mom's an idiot, but the duck certainly knows what it's doing. Don't,
1: you know, they can't argue with the lady on the plane who says he can't bring that many diapers, (laughs) who doesn't exist, but they don't
0: know that. How about the transition to a big kid bed? Okay, I had the most... First of all, my guru with the big kid bed is the super nanny. Joe Frost, her name is. She was the British super nanny. Speaking of stern women with their hair pulled back and glasses. But yet somehow still have that like lovable, adorable personality. I love her. That show was on for a while, a while back. And it always, she always goes into the house and the kids are always out of control and they're running around at midnight and the mom and dad are like sitting on the couch looking exhausted. And the number one thing she does, she does the naughty chair, but she also always gets them to go to bed. And this is the, the super nanny system, which worked perfectly for us. I wrote a piece about it and I will put it up on the website because my oldest, we, I'm, I'm, I was pregnant. So we needed the crib for the other baby. It was like, you're evicted, man. Like there's another tenant coming in. You got to go. We put the big boy bed in. They, they tell you like, show it to him during the day. Oh, look, you're a big boy. This is your big boy bed. We put him in the big boy bed and we're like, and now go to sleep. Then of course he runs out of the bed. He was 16 months old. I think my, oh my son. Gosh. He runs out of bed. And then the whole thing is you're supposed to blank face and not react at all. You just pick him back up, put him back in the big boy bed and you say night, night. The thing you were talking about your husband, like, okay, we're going into army mode and you and I are going to do this and here's our strategy, and here we go. That's what we did, but we needed it. It was no pacifier. Like he wasn't like, okay. So we, the first night, I mean, maybe 300 times, he just thought it was hilarious. He would run out of the bed. We would pick him up. We would put him back in night, night. We went three hours. So finally... I said, we we just can't keep doing this. And we put a baby gate at the door so he couldn't get past the door. But my kid possibly is a super genius evil villain because then the one at 16 months old, the one thing, and he still has him, Blue Bear was the one thing he could not live without, his bear. This is what this kid did. Prepare yourself. (laughs) We would put him in bed. He would run to the baby gate. We would just ignore him. And then after a while, he would run around by himself in his room. And one of us, every, every five minutes, would go stick him back in bed and say, Night, Night, in a stern voice and come back out. After about a half an hour, when he realized he wasn't getting attention anymore, he would go to the baby gate and throw Blue Bear over the gate and then start crying for Blue Bear. And mm-hmm. be like, Boo Bear. But he would really be crying. Like he would be. Because he, he was, really did need Boo Bear. I mean, he, he was- really did need him, but he was willing. To sacrifice his bear in the cause of not staying in the big boy bed, he created an incompatible behavior. Like oh my I can't, God. it was exactly be expected right. to go us, to sleep with like, a boo bear. No, and we knew he would never go to sleep right, with that blue right. bear. Right, that's a given. And it was. I was like this. I, I said it was like we need to start reading like the Art of War. Like we are up against an unbelievably hardcore combatant here. But first night, I'm going to say three and a half to four hours. Second night, forty five minutes. After that, he slept in the big boy bed, no problem. 16 but we months? had to we had to dig down. Yeah, I mean, was it was 16 months as old. you say, it was time and
1: the baby was coming. I mean, that's that's young, I and mean, that's that's a tough that's a tough age. We had two cribs for a while,
0: and yeah, but my kids were my kids were eighteen months apart, and I wasn't going to buy another crib.
1: Yeah, right. Right, like my kids were nineteen months apart, and I I kept my. <laughs> My, my kid had a pacifier until he was three. I think he probably was still in a crib at that point too. But you know, it, it, it's. But th- when when the time demands it, then you just have to give it. They say if you do it when the new baby is coming, Doctor Sears says you just shouldn't do it too too close. Try to un try to untether it from the new baby's arrival, which sounds like you did. Like you, were, you had the mm, system going. Kind of.
0: We weren't that into that. Like and, you were in labor. My, like, my night. kid seems to have survived. <laughs> that, that's the advice where I'm like, oh, tweet, tweet. Like I, I can't, uh, who cares? Like it's too close to the baby's arrival. But this is the thing. Ho- uh, consistency may be the hobgoblin of little minds, but consistency is very key in these transitions. Like it's always the same. And the big boy bed is a non-negotiable and those first, it really is, the super nanny really did teach me that thing of like, you put the work in up front that it's consistent. And my kids from the time they were 16 months old until now, they get in their beds and they don't get out of them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, they, Dr. Sears also says like, you can, you can make everything else about it pretty similar, right? Like ideally the, the, the bed is in the same place where the crib was, the rocking chair is still there. You do that. You do, if you, did you, uh, did you keep up like, okay, you get two stories before you go in your crib. So you get two stories before you go in the big boy bed. Probably. you like, like the, you can, you can do things around it to make it. So it's, it's not like I'm removing my maternal love from you. It's just, you this is a little bit different and new and exciting and other things are the same.
0: Yes. Although as always, I have to speak against the like preciousness of some of that stuff. Like your kid's going to survive. Like
1: yeah, I, it'll be all right. I'm not coming at it from the point of view of, oh, your precious child. I'm coming at it from the point of view of- Make it easier. Ha- make it easier on you. Have it have it not be a three and a half hour thing the first night if it can be a two and a half hour thing. that's that. I'm just saying these things might help with those. It might help the struggle. But if it's a triangle,
0: the widest part of the triangle is this is what you're going to do. This is the new reality. Got it. Come on, man! authoritarianism at all costs wide part of the triangle listen i'm dealing with like a hardcore revolutionary in my house i've got to be a strong authoritarian um all right with that uh we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about transitions for older kids
1: margaret i've got a go-to baby shower gift that i give whenever there's another newborn in my life can you guess what it is amy three guesses first two don't count it's pampers swaddlers
0: And now, some transitions that moms have to face from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Mom, stop playing Candy Crush on your phone. I'm next up on the diving board. Do
1: I have to? It's been three months since you gave birth. You need to
0: get out of those maternity pants. But they are so stretchy and comfy when I eat all the food. We're moving the PTA Nutrition Committee meetings from bi-weekly to weekly. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, 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 no. You've got the kids in school and it's time to go back to work. But there are
1: grown-ups at work and I've realized I really don't like talking to grown-ups, or making spreadsheets
0: or wearing appropriate clothing. Your child is leaving for college. It's time to let that little birdie fly. No problem. I'm going to set up a
1: tent on the lawn of her dorm room just to make sure she's okay for like the first semester or maybe the first
0: year or two. You haven't slept all week. You really need to get to bed.
1: No, of course. Just as soon as I finish reading this link about 27 cats who really should have known better. And then I just have to quickly check Facebook. It's 3 a.m.
0: You really need to get back to sleep. You're right. I know you're right. It's just, I feel like I really have to review everything I've ever done awkwardly or wrong in my life since I was 11.
1: So, Margaret, I'm going to do a screed for a change. Is that okay with you? Wait, screeds on this podcast are my job, Amy. I know, but I have one. I'll indulge it it for once. Because I have something I hate. I hate art projects that are supposed to be for the kids, but which require a parent to sit there the whole time and individually glue gun 500 beads onto a piece of velvet or something. I believe what you're talking about, Amy, is every project ever. Right. The whole whole point of keeping my kid occupied means that I am not involved, that I'm doing something else. And that's why I love... Our sponsor for today, Young Woodworkers.
0: They sent us some of their projects and they really are great. They're a subscription that sends woodworking projects about every four to six weeks that involve, listen up, guys, little to no supervision. The kits are ideal for ages seven to 12. How old are my kids, Amy? Six, eight, and nine? That sounds about right. That sounds right. They have done them, used them, they can really do them by themselves. I'm not exactly in the next room, but it is actually a child-led and based activity. My daughter
1: made the turbo racer, and she was hammering nails and gluing, and she was so proud because this is not something that she usually does, but she was able to follow the instructions, which they're illustrated, which I like, and they have everything you need. I think you might have to Grab a pair of scissors or some tape, but everything else you need for the project, including an adorable tiny hammer
0: is included. We have partnered with young woodworkers to offer you really big savings on your first shipment. You'll pay only $9.99 plus postage and processing for your first gift. That's 50% off, guys. Come on. What's better than 50% off? You're going to go to youngwoodworkers.com forward slash fresh to subscribe and to get our special deal. You don't even need a promo code, which I really like. I, I, of all the things I appreciate about young Woodworkers, no promo code. Is no the supervision,
1: best. no promo code. You just no go to young. Pro-
0: God bless these people.
1: Youngwoodworkers.com slash fresh, and you get 50% off your first shipment. Young woodworkers, guys, build something real. So you all know that HelloFresh is a longtime sponsor of our podcast, and today we're introducing Green Chef to all of you. Green Chef is a meal box company that's now owned by HelloFresh, so it's
0: one awesome company with a wide array of offerings. Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit delivery service. They send you pre-measured, perfectly portioned ingredients right to your door, which may sound familiar because that's what HelloFresh already does. And
1: they have meal plans that truly offer something for everyone. We we got the family omnivore, which has meat and seafood and vegetarian. And Margaret, I think you got the family
0: carnivore. Oh, we're carnivores in my house. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we are, we're like T-Rex level carnivores. We got the Greek chicken and potatoes with some sun-dried tomato sauce, uh, fingerling potatoes, which let me tell you, you just call them French fries, guys, and you serve them. And the sun-dried tomato sauce, it's ketchup adjacent. And <laughs> if your kids you know, need to switch out ketchup, I'm not saying anybody in my house did that, but if they had to, it's not the end of the world. So Green
1: Chef also has gluten-free and vegan and keto plans. And I have friends whose kids are on gluten-free diets and on keto diets, and those are hard. They're hard work. And Green Chef does all the planning for you, and everything
0: just comes ready to go. We love it. Gluten-free, everything there right to your door. And more importantly, you're going to get $50 off your first box of Green Chef. That's a pretty good deal. You're going to greenshef.us. not .com, guys, greenchef.us forward slash mother. That's greenchef.us
1: slash mother and get $50 off your first box.
0: Guys, you're already loving HelloFresh from us. Go check out Green Chef. You're going to like it. Okay, we're back.
1: We're back. And we're transitioning. We, you and I are both going through this transition this fall, which is the
0: transition to middle school. Well, our children yes. are going through this transition. Yes, we are, and um, my guy is not that happy about it. I have a fourth grader who's transitioning in middle school, which is pretty unusual. That the fourth grade starts the middle school experience. Most schools, elementary schools, go through fifth, and then and, sixth starts middle school.
1: And it's a double whammy because they're changing our, our expectations of them totally change. They're uh, at, a, at a time when their bodies are also starting to change and they're being thrown in suddenly with much older kids whose mOs are very very different from theirs and it's it's a, it's a lot all at once.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not thrilled about it myself.
1: They got they have to multitask, right? They have to move from floor to floor and teacher to teacher. They have my kids have a thing called a case it where they're supposed to be keeping all their assignments. This is once you hit middle school, right? You sort of have like eighteen folders and ten notebooks, and
0: and right, you're not, right. You're not to check like the website eating froggy and- your homework anymore. It's like <laughs> you've got all the different folders and books, and yeah, my oldest is my least organized, and it's going to be an interesting transition. And just for him, the transition from school to middle school conceptual idea of it is is really getting him down. Is he so he's feeling is
1: he worried about it? What is, does he explain yeah. to you what his source of stress is? Of course, yeah, he's like 10 I'm sources. worried.
0: I loved elementary school. I'm not ready to leave yet. I'm going to miss my teachers. Um, so they did do they do a good job. You know, they brought them over and did a tour and showed them their lockers. And he's excited about having a locker. So they've done kind of a good job about like, here's what's great about middle school. But he's Kind of scared of the big kids, you know he's and he's he ain't wrong I can't i mean my middle school was the worst three years of my life, and it just stunk it it's um
1: it's been proven in studies that kids who are smaller who are developmentally behind either emotionally or physically. Find middle school more stressful than kids who aren't, and then on the one hand, that's like, of course they do. But I'm not going to mention that to
0: my guy. Yeah, but they, but of course I'll, I'll skip that. Study. More stress. My kids a September birthday, so he's a young youngest kid, in is great already.
1: It's tough. It's really tough. Do in in your community is it like there's six
0: elementary schools and now there's one enormous middle school? Does it kind of work that no. way? No. So for the good and the bad, we only have one elementary, one middle, one high school. So the kids stay together the whole time, which I have my own problems with, but it's not, I mean, my, the elementary school that I went to was like butterflies and happiness. And every day is a special day. And then we went to a middle school where six other middle schools fed it. And it was like cast out of paradise into like, what's that show like American lockdown, you know, like it was just such an unbelievably tough transition. Right. And suddenly like, Everything you wore was wrong. Everything you did was wrong. Your face was wrong. I mean, it was it was really tough. It was like out of the Garden of Eden into the fire. Somebody did a study. Her name is Dr. Amy Belmore, and she did a study. She followed kids from fourth grade through eighth grade. I only want to hear from her if she tells me it's all going to be okay.
1: Well, she, she <laughs> talks about... The, I'll start with her conclusion, which is that peer relationships are the key to your kid strong peer relationships are, your, are the key to your kid succeeding in middle school and not just socially, but actually succeeding. She, she found that kids who were either rejected by their peers or who were just kind of unpopular had lower GPAs. Even if, they, even if they came in in fourth grade on the same level, their grades fell off if they didn't have good peer relationships during middle school.
0: I'm going to anecdotally argue against this to say that my siblings and I were the least popular kids in our middle school to the point where like some of us went through phases where like basically just like head down, get through the day, no friends, everyone was mean to us and we all did exceedingly well. You had a lot of time. You had a lot of time for the- uh... We had a lot of time for studying. This study worries me. I mean, it might be true in the abstract, but I feel like- This is one of those that like, uh, statistics aren't destiny. Like, I'm not sure that my kids are going to have strong peer relationships in middle school. And I'm not sure I want my kids to have strong peer relationships in middle school. One of the reasons why we were so unpopular in middle school is because we weren't hideously mean monsters. The kids who did really well in my middle school were go with the flow, make fun of the fat kids, mean kids. And having successful peer relationships in my middle school meant participating in that. That's not always the case. It's not the case. It's not the case in
1: my kid's school now. I, I, I hope yeah. that in general schools are watching that more than they used to. But it, well, there was another study done by the University of Maine, which found that fifth grade students who had strong peer relationships had a much easier time transitioning and doing well in middle school than kids who didn't have strong peer relationships and so, I mean, my takeaway from this was as my kid is entering middle school this fall, I'm going to like have a little pizza party for her and her friends right before school starts. I'm going to I'm going to enhance uh, um, have maybe some extra play dates and just sort of enhance those positive relationships and keep an eagle eye out for the I know how we'll, you know, express our undying friendship for each other will ostracize this This other kid, which I think does happen in middle
0: school, right? Like, let's cement our agreement. My worry with these studies is that the parent of that kid who's getting ostracized is like, not only is my kid socially a disaster, but also this somehow predicts that they're going to be a failure in life. Like, I don't believe that. I don't believe it.
1: I don't think this. I don't think this means you have to be, you know, popular. I think this just means you have a wingman. Like my um, my middle kid. I've said before he's sort of a serial monogamist. He has sort of one good buddy at a time, and yeah. But he did; he had one good buddy, and it got him through fifth, sixth grade. It, it, it They, they just were together all the time, and as they've gotten older, they started to branch out and go in different directions. Right. No fighting; they, just they're they growing were, apart.
0: They were on the life raft together. Yeah,
1: exactly. I guess that's what I take away from this: is they need they need a couple of life raft friends, and if you have a kid who needs more help in that area, then provide more help in that area. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And if you have a kid who's not making that happen, I, I'm sure there are studies, but I have conducted my own personal study. And I will tell you that for us, the life raft was the family. Like I kind of came home to a family that kind of always gave me the message. Those people who are being so mean to you and so hateful to you are wrong. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Like I did not have a life raft, buddy. I, I I had years on the island by myself, and it was okay. You I mean, did have you a could, sister
1: who was close in age. I mean, maybe yeah, but maybe she siblings would can never a life
0: raft. Speak to me at school. <laughs> she hated me too. Save yourself. We kid. were all like, save yourself. Exactly. She was like, listen, I've got one buddy on my life raft, and like, I'm sorry, I have to leave you to the sharks because like you're dragging me down. <laughs> but it having coming home every day to a home where it's like, hey, listen, this stuff is not. It's okay. You can talk it out. We will process how difficult it is. But I think there are kids that I might have one who go through middle school without that super close functioning peer and they're going to be okay.
1: It's also true that you don't find that right away. My oldest son started high school this year and I was sort of, you know, eagerly awaiting all the you know pizza and soda that was going to be had in our in our uh, you know around our kitchen table and meeting all these new friends in September October November I'm not I'm not meeting these great new friends he he developed new friends but it wasn't in week one or week eight it takes time and and our stress about it not happening quickly enough doesn't exactly help so I mean, I tried to to stay back about it, but he loves high school now. But it took him a full year to transition into really owning that new experience, and I think that's probably true for middle school and the big boy bed. Right, that's not going to happen overnight. For it sure. takes a while.
0: And I think that's a great perspective because I worry about the advice, which is like, mom, you have a tremendous role in making sure, like peer relationships are important. That's kids who with peers make better grades. So mom, it is somehow your job to make sure that your kids have successful peer relationships. It's just a bad formula. You'd rather not know that that correlation exists or, or you just don't like that these mm, sort of... I just think you have to take that correlation with a huge, huge grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that in general, and also like correlation is not causation too. like kids who have more troubled home lives are less likely to have successful peer relationships are less likely to have good grades. Like there's a lot of factors that go into that. And I just worry about people hearing like good peer relationships are the key to good grades. Therefore it is your job you mom, to make sure that your kids have successful peer relationships. Yeah. I think it is your job to support your kid through what they are going through and you are going to lose more control over that when they go into middle school. That's true. And so it is not my job to make sure my kid have friends so he gets good grades. It's my job to assist and support my kid in his studies, to assist and support the idea that like, hey, just because that kid said a mean thing to you today doesn't mean you never have to be friends again. Let me help you think that one through. My job is to to coach from the sidelines and to help him when he comes off the field. But he goes to the field every day and some some bad things may happen on the field. And the field may be really tough sometimes. And there's there's kids who and don't need rule. a lot of help. There's, a kids, the kids,
1: there's kids who are going to sail through this because if a kid is really extroverted and assertive, okay, I'm quoting psychologist Doug Oda here. He says the more extroverted and assertive a person is and the more he or she is open to new experiences, the more quickly he or she will adapt. And I think that's true. There are kids who are going to sail into this exciting new adventure and then there are kids who are more introverted and shy and cautious and they're just going to need at the simplest level, they're just going to need more time to adapt.
0: I'm going to tell you my favorite metaphor for this. And it is an old Elox alert back in my day, the blind melon B video. And right. I haven't actually showed it to my kids, but I talked to them about this idea a lot. So you have to put a link to it on the website, but no rain. Is- the song's called no, no rain. rain. And it's a great song anyway, but it's a little girl and she's dressed in a bee costume which is kind of like a funny looking, slightly fire pluggy little girl. And everywhere she goes, like no one likes her and she's in a bee costume. And then, spoiler alert, at the end of the video, she comes across a field of people and they're all in bee costumes and they're dancing. And she joins the field and she starts dancing with the other bees. And when my kids struggle, that is the thing I think of the most. Like they're just in the beginning of the bee video. And I have, mm, I don't know, one, two, or perhaps three kids who I feel like may have a similar experience that I had in school, which was fundamentally not fitting in and not having good peer relationships and being a kid who people saw as odd and unusual and therefore unworthy of inclusion in any way. But holding on to that part of myself, keeping the bee costume on, when I and it was a little bit in high school, I found my life raft person. And then in college, I found my field of bees. And I think you can't be afraid of letting them stay in the B B costume through middle school. Right. Don't trade in the B costume for peer relationships and grades. That's what I'm saying.
1: Right. Or yeah. Or maybe there's one other kid in the middle school who also wears a B costume and you find, you find that kid. um, They find that kid. Yeah, they find that kid. You're right, um, because because as you pointed out, once they get, you can't help anymore. You're not you're not walking in the school building with them anymore. You barely meet the teachers. You you are, you are
0: out of it. And the other practical stuff about middle school, which they've been really good at at my school, and I'm not sure they do this everywhere. Walk your kid through the practicalities of it too, like and make those things seem exciting. Same as the big boy bed. Like, look, it's got Lightning McQueen sheets, and it's your favorite guy, blue bears here in the corner and blah, blah. blah. I've been doing a lot of that with my guy. Um, let's practice doing a lock. You're going to have your own lock for the locker. And then we went somewhere. Oh, we went to a, a changing room and there was lockers and he's like, can I do the lock? Like he's excited about it. And, and you're going to, you're not going to have like boring composition notebooks. Like you're going to have these, whatever they call them now, like file folder things. And, and he said to me this morning, he had a, found a binary. He's like, this is going to be my math binder. Let's write math on it. Like lean into the things that are exciting and just keep helping your kids make those lists of like, what's scary and hard about this and what's good about it. And there's a lot of good things like, Hey, you can do whatever you want at recess. You can hang out and chat with your friends. You can have lunch outside if you want. Like there's more freedom and there's parts of it that are a little bit scary.
1: The unknown, the unknown part can be you can't meet expectations if you don't even know what they are. And that's, that's an easy way. It seems to me to help any kid through a transition is preparing. My daughter's going to sleepaway camp for the first time this summer and we have the trunk and we're looking at the packing lists and she's a kid who leans into new experiences. She's going to be fine. Even so she wants to read the handouts and make sure we're already thinking about what kind of mattress cover, you know, a month before she goes. That's how she's preparing. And so, yeah, I'm helping her really understand what it's going to be like when she gets there as much as I can because I've never been a sleepaway camp. You have to take your comparison meter out of it. When when your kid is going through these transitions, there's transitions that they have to make like middle school. There's transitions that they don't have to make like not having their pacifier at you know Nana's birthday party, whatever. That there's there, those things don't matter and you can help your kid through those at their pace, not at the world's pace. Middle school is different.
0: And I think talking about transitions as being hard is a useful thing to do as well. Like last time I started a new job, like my husband's like, here's your tea and your mug. You know, he was helping me through the transition. Like I'm still doing that. I'm still facing the problem of like, I don't really like transitions. I still... I get, like, homesick when I'm away from home still. I don't like transitions as a person. And that's something I talk to my kids about. Like, yeah, you know what? It was hard for you to give up your pacifier. It was hard for you to give up diapers. And now it's hard for you to go into middle school. Like, transitions are hard. I find transitions hard, too. This is how it's hard for me. These are some things I do to soothe myself. Because, yeah, this is high school. And then it's going to be college, too. Yeah, my little guy who... um is definitely always like, I'm never leaving home. I'm going to stay with you forever. And at some point we were talking about college and what's exciting about college. And both my boys are still like, I'm not going to college. I I just, I'm going to stay home. I, I just would rather be with you. Like they don't like the idea of college. It seems scary and far away. And finally I got my guy to agree because Once we went to a fair and it was so crowded, I finally just grabbed a pen and I wrote my phone number on all of their forearms because I just thought I'm going to lose somebody in this crowd. There's no way I can keep track of three kids by myself. And we used to do it when we went to New York City. I would write my phone number on their forearm. And uh, my little guy finally said to me the other day, because we were talking about something that was fun about college. His his cousins go to college and they made it seem exciting. And he f- said, mom, I will go to college, but you have to remember to write my, your phone number on my forearm. <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to tape that. And then the first day of college, I actually do want to write my name, my number on his forearm. Oh my God. In case he gets lost or has a problem and someone needs to call me. That is so sweet. Yeah.
1: I have one more tip I wanted, I wanted to mention before I forgot, which is there are s- such good Books about most of these transitions that exist. I don't know about college, but like for for little kids, the Big Boy Bed, the pacifier. Have you read Owen to your kids? Owen by Kevin Henkes, which is about a mouse who still really wants his his blankie all the time, and the old no. lady next door looks over the fence. It's like he shouldn't have that blanket anymore. I don't know what that kid's doing with that blanket, and so the ki- the parents listen to First the old of all, lady. The parents
0: are like, it's not a kid, it's a mouse, right. lady.
1: Well, no. The parents are like, "All right, well, no more, no more blanket," because the world says, and and the kid freaks out, and the kid, and the kid, just like your son and and Boo Bear, is um, a genius at coming up with workarounds for everything they try. Yeah. And finally, the the mom and dad decide to listen to the kid, and they come up with a solution, which is they they cut up, they cut up the blanket. It shows the kid like hardly being able to watch because it's so you know traumatic. They cut the blankie up into pieces, and then he brings a piece in his pocket, and he walks right by the nosy old lady and waves, and she doesn't know he has a piece in his pocket, and he takes a piece to kindergarten, and at his pace, he's going to move away from that blankie when he's ready, not because the world said he has to. Great book. And I think there's oh, books like that for all Although I did have a heart all attack when you said they cut
0: up the blankie. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. My kids are nine, seven, and six, and they all still have their lovey. Oh yeah. They're, I mean, do... do Anybody who thinks that you've got to take that
1: away from your kid, I don't understand. I mean, who who cares? I have an adult sibling. It's a, a female sibling and she still sleeps with her rainbow bright pillowcase and she is out in the world with a job and a car and a life and does she have a pacifier? No. Her diverse. teeth are fine. Uh, she she
0: does Otherwise she does use the, the potty and she has right. a special pillowcase she likes to cuddle with. Who cares? Who cares? I, who I cares? have a little pillow that my mom made me and it has a sewing, a, a needle point of a mouse on it. And it says my name in script and it sits on my bed every night and I like to have it. See that? Yeah, it's fine
1: guys. So don't uh, watch don't the transitions. Know. Don't Transitions that don't have to happen, don't have to happen at all. Transitions that that kind of eventually have to happen, can happen in a gentle
0: and loving way and use positive reinforcement. And very much so. This is my parting thought. Beware only dealing with the source of the transition and not with the cause of the transition. So like slapping the thumb out of the mouth. Don't worry, middle school will be fine. Like try to get a little bit underneath what's going on with that transition because there's probably a lot there. And then with the bigger kids transition, realize that your only role is a uh, cut man. You're in the corner. They're going okay. into the fight. They're just coming back to the cut man. You're, you're patching up the cuts and sending them back in. <laughs> you're cut man. We want to know how
1: you're dealing with the transitions in your children's lives right now. And there's a bunch of ways you can tell us. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Hellcast.
0: We're going to put up the B video on a Facebook if oh, we're yeah, allowed yeah. to. I think so. And I'll also put that video...
1: And the links to the different studies and research that we discussed today on our show page, which
0: is whatfreshhellpodcast.com And you can always find us on Twitter at wfhpodcast and on Instagram at whatfreshhealthcast.
1: If you haven't liked our Facebook page yet, come check it out We uh, and like it so that you are a little bit more likely to see some of the great content we have on there. We love starting discussions with you guys and our listeners are hilarious and come up with great advice.
0: So full of great advice, guys. You can just scroll through the Facebook page and find out so much good advice that our listeners have given through the years. (laughs) We started with that. I'm going to end with it as well.
1: That is the lamest Kenny Rogers Oldie Locks Alert back in my
0: day. Is it Kenny Rogers? It's Kenny, I think. Hold on, please. Through the years. Oh, it's totally Kenny Rogers. My bad. My bad, man. I doubted you. Never doubt Amy. That's the lesson. I'm an, an oldie locks. Boy. Why would you doubt me? <laughs> why would I doubt? When it comes to oldie locks alerts, why would I doubt you? <laughs> I don't know how to use all right, Snapchat. guys. I think we've said all that. Now that we're in Kenny Rogers, I think we've said all that. Really, really <laughs> we're sad. really done. We're super we're done. done. <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.